Welcome to Dad Pod. How are you this week, Charlie? I'm good. I'm good. It's been uh, it's been an interesting week. For those of you who listen to my other podcast, Tofop, you will have heard that uh, my dog passed away, which was uh, when you have life come into the house and then a life leave the house. <laughs> it is an emotional roller coaster, uh, to say the least. Uh, it was a weird yeah. parallel, actually. He, Junior had been sick for a long time. This was, didn't really come as a surprise. We knew just before Iona was born that uh, our dog was sick. We were hoping that he would maybe hang in there till Christmas. But unfortunately, my dog wasn't strong enough to beat cancer, <laughs> like many other people and animals. But it was a, it was a beautiful send-off. Like, you know, we the, the benefit of, of getting a diagnosis like that it was, is he wasn't hit by a car. It wasn't a heart attack. It wasn't something sudden thing. We actually got to say goodbye. But... It did strike me how strange the parallel was that, you know, only two months before Gemma and I had been in the living room playing music, making cups of tea, willing a child into this world. And then only two months later, we were playing music, making cups of tea, farewelling my dog into his next chapter. So in a strange poetic way, there was a lot of bookending, but... It was tough, man. Like, I've never actually lost a pet before, especially, you know, not a dog. And if I didn't have a baby in the house, I imagine it would have been a lot tougher. It was very grateful to have a, a child to pour my, my energy into in that moment. Yeah. It was very tough for me to listen to you talking about it on TOEFOP, remembering the times that I've had to say, you know, goodbye to pets that I've had in my life just because, you know, just remembering that. But also noticing that, yeah, that happened with people in my family after my mum died, babies showed up, you know, and, and, you know, after, you know, aunts and uncles have passed away, babies have shown up. It's just seems to be that Elton John was right, (laughs) that the circle of life just continues. And these two things, these opposing ends of our life, I just seem to be around at the same time. Well, I spoke to two of my sisters about it and both of them had really similar experiences where their beloved companion pets, dogs, passed away within a month of their first child being born. And part of me did wonder if there was some kind of like – you know, deep-seated evolutionary uh, biological function happening where my dog was like, okay, Mm. the pack is changing. Like I was once the, you know, and and now it's my time to move on because I I did sort of feel like, because he he got ill just before the baby was born and I did Mm. sort of feel like he hung on just long enough to make sure that the pack was under control, that he didn't need to stick around and and protect the herd anymore. Like he's like, okay, these two seem to know what they're doing, I can let go because it did sort of have that feeling to it. Like he just sort of did quietly go off into the night. So it Mm. was just – it was was such an interesting thing because it did make me sort of think about – Oh, wow. Like, we're, like, you know, we've domesticated animal uh, dogs over like the last 15,000 years. And I wonder if this is like an original function, maybe, <laughs> you know, mm. of having animals to protect the young. Maybe. I certainly feel that, uh, certainly as a kid, when we put the house cat to sleep, that first pet cat, when we put it to sleep, it was my first experience with death. And it was my parents' ability to talk to us about death and where the cat gone. Why is the cat not here anymore? And, and you're, you know, it's this kind of ability to speak with a child about life and death and the permanence of, of death in a kind of less – the stakes are, are not as high as when it's a human, I guess. Yeah. So it's prepar- prepping the kid for when a grandma or a grandpa, mm. uh, if at all, you know, goes to plan. 
uh, there's a plan to take off grandma and grandpa. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, that you know what I mean. Like, yeah. just if things go in the natural order, like the first death you experience with that of a pet as a yeah. kid. I think it's really important. I mean, I'm always surprised. I always think that, you know, because I've ex- experienced some death in, you know, in my life with family members and stuff that somehow it will get easier each time I experience mm. it. But no, no, even when it's an animal, like you still feel the same oh, sense yeah. of loss. I mean, I think my mother actually once said to me that, you know, losing a pet hurts just as much as losing a family member, but it just doesn't last as long. And so right. I think that maybe that that sort of is – I can understand that because you much, especially when as a parent now, you sort of very quickly move on to, well, I can't Mm. feel sorry for myself because there is someone else in the house now who needs my attention. Which is probably a part of the design of of the process of healing as well Mm. in that you then just have to do the next right thing. And the next right thing is I've got to look after this helpless individual that's in my care now. And, And thankfully, as with any you know, house animal, there's a routine around it, whether it's cleaning a litter box or feeding a bird in a cage or in, you know, a dog's case, taking him outside for a walk and throwing a ball around. It's replaced by the routine of caring for a young child, a young baby, which I I guess, you know, that gap in your day is now thankfully full. You're not just sitting around going, oh, I used to walk the dog now. Now what am I going to do? Yeah. And it's weird too because I used to have like people make, you know, if you ever said, oh, you know, my dog is like a practice baby and people make fun of you go, no, no, it's nothing like having a kid. But I think Mm. it is like having a practice kid. Like uh, having a dog, especially the first dog I ever owned, it did prepare me for being a parent. It did open me up. It did make me more affectionate and considerate and responsible. I think, you know, Junior was a, a perfect kind of lead in to what I was eventually going to do. Like he made me a much more selfless individual. And I think it primed me perfectly for, for what I was going to do in the next stage. If not for being way less terrified of shit that isn't your own, <laughs> you know, just, just getting over the fact, here's some shit. It's in the house. It's on the floor. I'm going to clean it up and I'm going to be okay. And they're just like getting used to that. <laughs> it's, it's a perfect primer. to. So when you start changing up, he's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He's just so don't care by that point. Well, it's funny actually. So with uh, Iona this week, we had to um, uh, had to do a hospital visit because she, uh, started, oh. she started running a little bit of a fever. Nothing to be too alarmed about, but just enough at her age that you need to go into the hospital. When, you, when they run a certain mm. fever over a 38.5, I think you have to go into the hospital. Uh-huh. But it sort of uh, was a real eye-opener in – so we bought a bunch of stuff as you do when the babies come along that you think you're going to need. And one of the things that we thought we would need is like a thermometer. And so mm-hmm. uh, we looked at all the fancy thermometers and like, oh, infrared contactless thermometer. This will be great. Mm-hmm. Like that looks like state of the art. It looks like the kind of thermometer Elon Musk uh, would release yeah. if he was going to release baby You can hit it with products. a sledgehammer and it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it turns out that the uh, infrared contactless thermometer ain't great for telling temperatures because well, we knew that she was running a bit of fever just by touching her. And when we pulled this thing out, it was like a goddamn like speed camera. You know, <laughs> you'd yeah. point it at her and you'd press the button. But each time it was a different reading. And I followed the instructions to the letter, hold it at one, two to two centimetres away from her temple and hold it. But each time it was like wildly fluctuating over 40 degrees, you know, down below 37, what? up to 38. I could not get an accurate reading. And so we just called the the healthcare line and said, look, you know, we have a, a seven-week-year-old baby. This is what's going on. And they said, look, it doesn't sound like it's anything to be too alarmed about, but as a precaution, you should go to the hospital. So when we got to the hospital... Once again, I know we've advocated for this uh, on this podcast before, but how great is it 
our healthcare system. Oh, like, man, it's incredible. I mean, I'm just so grateful. Like, uh, thankfully, we've not had to go in too many times. This is really just a precautionary thing. But the way you're treated in there and the level of care you get, it was jam-packed too. We went to the kids' hospital and there was yeah. like a waiting room filled with people. We got put to the front of the line because of how old our baby is. And they were jam-packed. Like, they were, had doctors and nurses flying around all the place. But you'd never felt anything but 100% cared for, like 100% uh. investment. But when we got there, we sort of explained to it and they said, look, you're going to get a lot of products put in front of you that are the state of the art latest, but nothing is better than just an old fashioned. So they told us we should go back to the old fashioned thermometer, which we did. She was running a slight fever, but not enough to be concerned. But they also said, this is why you need to have baby Panadol at home because generally these things can be headed off at the pass if you just use a bit mm. of baby Panadol, which was something that through all our prep, we just had not thought of. And it was when it gets to like, you know, two o'clock in the morning and you're like, shit, we can't just go, you know, to a 7-Eleven and get baby Panadol. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, that's something we probably should have prepped for. <laughs> we had a similar situation with the thermometer and, and thankfully because Audrey's, this is Wolfie's Audrey's second child, I was exactly the same. I'm like, we should get the laser pointer, you know, <laughs> yeah. super thing with the one that can tell the baby's temperature from five meters away. Pew, you shoot it at it. And she's like, nah, the mercury one that goes under his arm, that's yeah. the one we want. Yeah. Uh, there's no, but honey, it's like an old school. It doesn't have lasers. No, get that one. And she's right. So what <laughs> I'm trying right. to say, Osh, is does anyone want to buy an infrared thermometer? <laughs> uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie Corson on Gumtree uh, <laughs> <laughs> selling one for 50 bucks. I'll put it up. alongside yeah. my uh, Beatles box set, lunchbox CD box set that I have had on Gumtree. <laughs> it started off at 100 bucks and I, I put it down to about 10 bucks and still can't get anyone to buy this thing. Apparently CDs yeah. are a dead medium. Gumtree free is a great thing. Just pop, someone will show up. Some, <laughs> someone will, someone will show up. And is she doing better? Is Iona doing yeah, okay now? Look, it was fine. Once we administered the, the baby Panadol and got her home, it was just a, it was just a, a, a natural thing that she passed through it very easily. It was good though. Like we sort of felt like we did a dry run. It was kind of like when we had mm. the Braxton Hicks contractions and we got to the hospital mm -hmm. too early. It's like, yeah. okay, it's like a fire drill. This is a good way for us to go, okay, this is yeah. how long it takes us to get to the hospital. Because, I mean, obviously I parked in the completely wrong car park. You know, we went yeah. to the wrong place. We had to walk all the way through the hospital because I didn't realize the children's hospital was the other side to the adult's hospital, blah, 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 blah. So all of that stuff was like, okay, cool. Well, next time we have to go, then I know where everything mm. is. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it, again, it was just so reassuring and so great to just see the level of care that you get given. I mean, you know what, Osh? It's worth paying a little more in tax to get free health care. Yeah, I, mate, when I see that in Australia, if you're listening from outside the country, when you do pay your tax, they give you a breakdown as to where your money went. And when I see how much of my tax money goes to health care, I am just like, take it. Having lived in America where the amount I pay in tax is one visit. Um, it's just, uh, I'm very, very, very grateful for it. Wolfie has been a little ill this week as well, Charlie. And the thing that's made it difficult is that I'm currently away. I've been away for work this week and it's way harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Wolfie, I, I spent one night away before I went on this work trip and that was super rough. But being away is really, really hard. You know, if you go back, I don't know, 30, 40 years, the idea that, no, I'm off to work, you raise the baby, that was 
no problem at all. The the partner was expected to just do all of that you know, by herself. And the the father's obligations started and stopped at I'm clocking on and clocking off, bringing money into the house, and and that's that's what I'm doing. But you know, we've seen this morphing over time of of dads wanting to be more off, you know, and and you know, as as the value of, of of women's careers has rightly become, you know, where it should be, that the sharing of responsibilities in the house is hopefully becoming more equitable. And so, to be away, a it's tough because he gets bigger every day and he does new stuff every day. Mm-hmm. But it's the worst when I'll ask in the morning, I'll say, "How was he last night?" She goes, "Oh, I had about forty two minutes of sleep in a row, three time. He was screaming the whole night." You know, I had to put him on baby Panadol at one point and, you know, he just wouldn't settle. And it's just so tough to be away, not being able to do anything about it. It's, it's, it's really, really, really hard. And I don't know the remedy for it. <laughs> you know, thankfully, Audrey has a really extraordinary outlook on why we're a part of the moment. She understands that, yes, I'm away to do some work, um, which mm. does, you know, allow us to have the life that we have that's my part of things right now. And then when I come back, it'll be different, but it doesn't make it less tough to not be there for her. And Mm. I I honestly cannot imagine how shit even 15 years ago before something like FaceTime or Skype, how any father could spend time away from their kids. It's really interesting. I've I've had a number of conversations the last couple of weeks. I've got a, a friend who's in a similar work situation to you where, you know, for the first six months that his baby was born, he and uh, his partner were able to be there for the baby. And then he Mm. got work that started taking him away for longer and longer periods of time. And having Mm. gone through that very intense kind of early period uh, of the newborn to then being further and further away, that he's just doing the same thing as you, where he's trying to rationalize, well, someone has to make money in order to raise Mm. his child. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to tag team as much as possible, but this is the nature of the job. But you're right. You think back to, you know, not even 15 years ago when that was just expected. And not only that, mm. but a lot of fathers weren't even there for the first, you know, six weeks that we all yeah. sort of nowadays appreciate that that is the, like a, a really important, especially if you work a nine to five job, you know, where maybe yeah. if you're lucky, you can, you can get a couple of months off, but most dads in reality get two to, two to four weeks off. And that's it. The company in California called Apple have made a new phone that has like 16 cameras on it and it's just bananas. And Audrey bought one and I thought, well, that's pretty good, but it's expensive. Fuck it. I'll go get one. It's pretty good. It's stupid. It's cost a lot of money. doesn't make it. It's just a fucking phone. It's got a camera on it, <laughs> big whoop. Worth every cent being really? able to see in high definition Wolfie's face taking a FaceTime freeze frame photo. Audrey sends me videos a couple of times a day. I will watch them 20 times in a row, you know, and just that connection home is able to be at least, you know, held on a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think about people in the armed forces who for security reasons can have absolutely no contact with their home, you know, how, hard that would be how so Mm. hard that would be yes you're rationalizing it by uh, making money for the family and yet you come home i mean a buddy we've had him on the show luke heggie i said he'd go away on tour for a week and come back and he said and the kids a quarter bigger you know and suddenly doing stuff reaching for things that they you know before they were just grabbing things there's gigantic developmental leaps and they've missed it 
you know, mm. and just just being with that is is I don't know I don't I'm not asking for any solution I don't know any any way out of it I just want to talk about it that yeah it's hard and if you are going to need to go away for work Osh I think you're also missing a golden opportunity to get us a new sponsor I mean you were being very very kind of <laughs> moderate on the Apple endorsement I think you could have gone a bit harder <laughs> you know nah, Charlie man. this thing is breaking my heart but the one thing that isn't breaking my heart is my brand new Apple phone. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They don't sponsor anyone. They got way too much money. They don't care. They sell themselves <laughs> those things. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I left. I said, "Honey, you can't send me enough photos. You can't send me enough pictures." And thankfully, she's been really, really good with that. And uh, you know, I'm doing long days when I'm away, and if I'll get a picture every couple of hours of what they're doing, what she's doing. And that's been really, really good. And FaceTiming a couple of times a day, only for a couple of minutes, maybe just when he's feeding so she can talk to me, is also really helpful. And mm. I can't thank her enough for holding the fort while I'm away, even on those tough nights when he is he's struggling and being windy and can't settle and fussy and growing because he's just, he's just massive, dude. He's on the workout plan. He is a big boy. <laughs> Yeah, his growth spurts are just happening quicker and quicker. Uh, he's growing out of every piece of clothing. Like all the clothes that he wore when I left, you know, a couple of days ago, he now no longer fits. It's just yeah, extraordinary, that is the, mad game. That is the crazy part. I own is the same. Like none of the newborn clothes fit anymore. And it's weird. You're right. It does feel like it happens overnight. I mean, I looked at her yesterday and I was like, she looks bigger. Like she looks significantly <laughs> bigger, like a quarter Probably bigger. Is. Something has happened <laughs> overnight where she's just gone boom like that yeah she probably is she's just you know getting shredded for stereo mate yeah. she's getting ready <laughs> hey osh uh why don't we get bernard curry on the phone australian acting legend bernard curry yes part of the new dados the curry brothers <laughs> <laughs> they really are i love it bernard curry Welcome to Dad Pod. It's Charlie and Osher here. How are you, lads? Good, good. Oh yeah, it's good to good to be with you. Thank you so much. I mean, you you are a veteran father. You've got two grown boys now. Oh look, I, I wouldn't say they they're grown as in um, you know flown the cooper or anything, but they're seven and nine years old. Yes. And so, what are your initial words of advice for two brand new dads? Don't do it. <laughs> too late. <laughs> too late. No, no, it's um, the, the advice that I would give, you know, I mean, uh, not that I sort of hand out advice to people sort of uh, without being asked for any, but seeing as you are asking, it, it's one of those things, there's no, there's no guidebook for it, you know, there's, there might be books around that kind of to try and to walk you through it, but it's nothing can prepare you for that until you just kind of do it, you know, and you get in and get amongst it. And look, I think the main thing about being a modern father, I think, is that, and what, you know, I guess you guys would broach this point a lot of the time, is that I think the ta- the paradigm has changed for what it is to be a modern father and masculinity in this day and age. And the things, just the basic things like, you know, when you have a kid and you're kind of helping out your missus and you're jumping in and trying to, you know, she's up feeding in the middle of the night and you're changing nappies and you're, you know, you, you, you're getting in there and doing it. And um, that's a little bit different to what the way that our I guess that our fathers might have done it or their fathers and stuff. So um, 
and, and then also just the kind of connection that you have with your kids, I think, has changed. And, and the way that we want to try and have a connection with our children, you know, it used to be the whole thing of like the father would go off and, and earn the money and the mother would stay at home and do all of the kind of home chores and cooking and cleaning and, and look after the kids. And certainly that was pretty evident in the house that I grew up in. My father went off and earned the money and and mum was the kind of the the home person. Dad would come home from work and we'd sort of have a little bit of time with dad hanging out or whatever, or he might come and, you know, he wasn't much of a cricketer, but he might come out and throw the arm over in the backyard and, and play a bit of cricket yeah. with us. But it certainly wasn't. Just an old drive by on dad there, Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> he was. Look, you know, I think he'd probably be the first to say he wasn't the best cricketer in the world. But, you know, but he, he would then, you know, then he'd go off and do his own thing and, and uh, we'd have dinner and it's always we'd always have dinner as a family. But look, I, I think to a large extent, I think my connection with my father, although I love him dearly and, and, and I know that he loves me and we we as a family, the Curry family are all very close. You know, we're, all the kids are very close. And But I think the, you know, our connection with our father is not a deep emotional one you know it's it's one of quite sort of even when we kind of were growing up and, and my brothers and I decided we were going to hug each other when we said hello he he's quite uncomfortable with that whole sort of thing so he prefers to shake hands you know yeah and I think that typifies the the older generation and I think that's what differentiates the newer generation our generation from uh, and even you know kind of people like millennials and the gen kind of z or whatever you call them now but it's a different way of, of relating to our kids, I think, and we, we want to have a, more, a much more open and a much more connected um, relationship to our children. Mm. It, that doesn't necessarily always transpire, but I think the want is there, you know, and the yeah. kind of um, mm. people want to have a closer connection with their children. It is kind of interesting in that the, um, you know, what you're describing is that that model had been replicated for hundreds of years. And I know it certainly with my elder kid, she's nearly 16 now. Anything we tell her, she ignores, but the only stuff that she does is what she sees. So we are in a, in a way, we're not just replicating what we saw. We're trying to kind of invent a new way of, of doing it these last kind of 10 or 15 years or so of being a father. Yep. And there's going to be a, a few mistakes along the way, I'm pretty sure, Bernie. Of course. And look, the fact that people are, have access to, you know, th- even things like this particular podcast or... Uh, there's a w- website called The Fatherhood, which is kind of bringing together kind of um, fathers from all, all different walks of life and kind of sharing experiences. Our parents and their parents and their parents' parents didn't have that kind of access to a really open source kind of different experiences and different kind of uh, views on how to the, the best way forward is for any individual. So they really only had the story was told to them only through their parents. So, of course, it makes sense that all of that paradigm was set in stone for many, many, many generations because they only had the experience of what their parents gave them. Whereas we now have the benefit of of accessing so many different people's experiences of what it means to be a father or a mother or a parent in general that you have a much wider kind of uh, spectrum of of experiences and you get to see what other you know how other people do it basically so the digital age i think is kind of changing the way that we we develop our relationships in many ways some negative obviously in terms of the whole social media thing and everything it's you just get you, you don't have to spend as much time face to face with someone but at the same time you are you have access to all these great stories from people about their experiences of being a parent and you can then apply that to your own experience 
And so, Burns, in my group of friends, uh, seeing you guys all having kids much earlier than, than when Jim and I decided to do it, I did see that there was a, a real con- uh, effort by all the fathers to be more actively involved, you know, through the labour and then the child rearing and stuff. Was that something that you felt was like a conscious decision or was that something that you and Sonia had talked about or did it just come naturally? You know what? I, I actually feel it just came naturally. I mean, it, we we obviously talked about the way that we would go through the birthing process, and and I wanted to be actively involved in that. And, and you know, again, you bring it back to the older generation. <laughs> Often it was like the father would sit out in the waiting room while the mother went through the whole labour process with a possibly a midwife or something, and then the, you know they would they would deliver the baby to the father and say, you know, congratulations, Mister Curry, you you're you know the proud father of a new baby boy, and you go, ah, oh, terrific. So I think it just came naturally to me seeing myself, I guess, as a modern man. And um, it's just the way that I kind of, uh, you know, it's part of all of the little things that you want to try and create to have a, a closer relationship with your kids. And if that means, you know, wiping their their shitty ass, you know, four times a day and changing nappies and stuff, you you still have that connection with them, you know, more than what you think your father did. I'm not saying the actions that I took were retrograde to the way that my father brought us up. It wasn't a reaction to that. It was more, I think, a fairly natural kind of um, feeling of, you know, who I was as a man in in the modern age and what and how I wanted to help out. And I still kind of, we still have this modern way of bringing up our kids. I mean, I should probably... You know, I want to be sort of open and transparent. You know, the, our experience, Sonia and my experience raising kids has been a particularly challenging one. And I and I don't think there's any kind of merit in trying to hide any of these things. So my oldest, Fox, has been diagnosed on the autistic spectrum, ASD, autism spectrum disorder. He's obviously very high functioning, but he still has some distinct behavioural traits that are kind of aligned with the autistic spectrum. He's also diagnosed ADHD as well, which kind of um, brings its own set of challenges. And then our youngest, Banjo, who's seven years old, has just in the last year has just been diagnosed ADHD as well. And a lot of people kind of go, oh, it's this modern kind of way of diagnosing sort of just crappy behaviour in kids and finding and then just medicating them and, and finding a way of the easy option out of it and it's just a behavioural thing, well, I actually strongly disagree with that and we were really, you know, we knew that Fox was was always a really challenging child and we had, we were always very reticent to medicate him. I mean, there's not really any medication you can give for, you know, to uh, alleviate any of the behavioural aspects of ASD but with the ADHD you can, there's various options you can have and we were given the option of medicating him with uh, Ritalin and we were pretty reticent to do that early on. And um, one of the doctors kind of said to us, look, you know, if you had a kid who was diabetic, you, you know, you wouldn't hesitate to give them insulin to medicate yeah, them with that sort of thing. absolutely, yeah. So we, you know, we gave it a sort of a trial run and we said, look, we don't want this to be the ultimate sort of treatment and stuff. Um, and, you know, we, we're sort of going through various psychologist sort of appointments and stuff as well. So there's sort of behavioral kind of learnings that we're going through as well and therapy. But- 
I must say that when we, you know, as soon as we took, we put him on the Ritalin, it was a remarkable change for the mm. better. I mean, m- majority of the time we kind of use it just it's it's mo- mainly for school really. So mm. you know, he takes it in the morning, and and by the time he gets to school, that that kind of medication has started to work with his system. And then by the time he comes home from school, about three thirty, four o'clock, four thirty, he's you know that's kind of wearing off. So. We kind of get the sort of rough end of that spectrum in on a daily sort of basis. So in the mornings, he's very hard to manage. And then he sort of, and then once he's medicated, it's actually, you know, he you can see the behavior changing and he's able to kind of organize his thoughts a bit and just to be able to sort of listen and, and organize his thoughts. Whereas before it was really hectic. And then at the end of the day, you know, we, we kind of get that kind of unmedicated state again at the end of the day. But but we, we really wanted to make it so that he was... At school, he was not disrupting the class, the teacher, mm. the other kids, and also his own learning. And that's actually, it's really worked remarkably well. I mean, it, it really is um, something that I, whenever people ask me about that, I kind of, I always espouse its virtues. I it, I think back in the day when we were, you know, the same age, when we were going through primary school, you always had those kids that were kind of on, you know, the the, the naughty kid that was, that was always getting sent to the principal's office, always getting in trouble mm. and and as a you know, over the course of a long period of time over a school life, these people became kind of marginalised, and and often they sort of they kind of had that sort of lower self esteem as always thinking them of themselves as a naughty kid, whereas potentially they could have been helped, you know, in a in a massive way by some medication actually allowing them to collect their thoughts and organise their concentration and everything and not to be disruptive in the class to the other kids and to the teacher and everything and and also to be able to experience a much more cohesive and, and rewarding learning experience through their school life. So I firmly believe that Fox being on Ritalin and now actually Banjo is now actually taking some for his school as well and it's the sort of thing that's working remarkably well and, and I would you know recommend it to anyone. It's, it's a really tough one because a lot of people think that it's just masking certain deep down psychological behaviours but I, um, I, I think otherwise. Yeah. Hey, Bernie, just a, thank you so much for sharing so honestly about what you're going through in your family. And it's obviously a very, it's more common than people think. And to talk about the medication in in the context of diabetes is a really powerful thing, I feel. Outside of the relationship with your children, though, I know friends of mine who've gone through a similar thing. How did you and your wife manage to keep the strength of your relationship when you were starting to face this challenge? And how did you hold on uh, to what you have to make sure that there was a core there for those kids to thrive under? That's a really good question, Osh, because it's a um, the sort of thing that when you're going through an experience like, you know, we still go through, you know, on a daily basis, it can really be a tough one for a relationship. You know, you're trying to juggle all of those things like your work lifestyle, you're trying to, you know, obviously you earn money to survive and everything. And then your home life is just goes to the next level and it's a, it can be really hard to manage your lifestyle within your within your home life. And it's just a challenge. I mean, it's one of those things that it's a, just a daily thing. And, and I think the way that Sonia and I have found that we've been able to kind of weather the storm is through a genuine sense of teamwork. And whenever we're both together in the house and things kind of get hectic, like even last night, so so I was emceeing a, um, this kind of choir thing with uh, Jonathan Welch that my mum was singing in yesterday and Sonia took the kids and we've just got a new dog, so a new puppy. So we're really kind of, you know, trying to make things hard for ourselves. But <laughs> yeah. so she took the kids over to my sister's place where 
all of the cousins were there. So it was pretty mental over there. And our sort of big family gatherings can be, you know, hectic. I mean, at, at any given moment. So when she came home, I came home from my little engagement and then she came home and she said, I'm just going to sub out for about half an hour and give myself a break. And, you know, it's genuinely kind of like WWE, you know, with the kind of rumble and the, or what, what do they call the, it? The Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble, that's right. So, you know, you kind of tap out and you actually just tap out. You're going to take over. I'm just going to sub out for a bit, take myself off and give myself a bit of a, you know, a break from everything. And then I take over and I did all the whole bath routine. And, you know, so by that time of the day, it's really hard to organize two kids who've got ADHD to try and get themselves. They can't do it by themselves. So, you, I mean, we say the term, it's like herding cats so often mm. because- that's exactly what it feels like. You know, they, they get distracted at, you know, at, at every given opportunity. And it's one of those things, sometimes you wonder to yourself, well, how much of this is a condition? How much of this is the kind of the ADHD or the, or the autism spectrum disorder? And how much is just, you know, two young kids of seven and nine years old with a uh, you know, kind of testosterone running through their body that are just kind of going crazy and bashing each other up. And like we used to do, my, my brothers and, and me used to, do, you know, kind of always be hanging shit on each other and that sort of stuff and competitive. And so kind of you sometimes you're second guessing yourself as to what, you know, whether it's how much of this is, it's just normal behavior from kids and any couple who has even, and you call them neurologically normal any couple who has neurologically normal kids, whether this is just a normal kind of day for anybody mm. rather than, you know, whether the, you know, the ADHD or the behavioral conditions that they have are affecting the overall kind of experience. But through the course of the experiences that we've had through Sonia and myself, teamwork is such an important part of that, you know, and then being able to support each other in every single way. Like I usually cook, so I come home from work or whatever I would do and I will kind of knock up a, you know, dish for the night and then Sonia's then kind of got the kids and and then when it comes time to putting them down into bed and reading them a story, it's like we just genuinely just trying to team up and get in there and, and so we'll put them through in the bath and or in the shower and stuff and then I will just jump into the bed with them and, and read them a story and they've got their readers that they have for school that they that they have to read as well and and then sometimes I can't make it. Like, for instance, tonight, because I'm working on Wentworth at the moment, so I've got a late shoot tonight, so I'm not going to finish until 10 o'clock. So Sonia's going to have to do all that sort of by herself, you know. But then in the morning I'll, you know, I'll make sure she gets a sleep in, so I'll get up early in the morning and do the breakfast routine and everything with my kids. So, you know, they're still at the stage where they can't make their own breakfast. They can't sort of organise themselves just to go in and get some toast and sort of spread some peanut butter on it. So it's... You know, and then and then there's the whole thing of like, how much do you kind of um, do you say to yourself, I shouldn't be doing this for these guys because they're old enough to do it for themselves. I mean, if you, but then again, you know, if you left it up to them to do just all by themselves, they would never get it done. So, you know, you have to get these things done within a certain time frame in the morning. You have to get them dressed. You have to get them ready for school, and then they have to get off to school by nine o'clock. So, it's that whole teamwork thing of just kind of jumping in whenever. So often, Sonia, if, if they wake up through the night, Sonia will kind of wake up and work out, work out what, the, what the situation is. But then I will then usually kind of make sure I get up early and so Sonia can sort of have a bit of a, lot, a sleep in in the morning. I mean, when I say sleep in, they're usually up around 6 
6 a.m., you oh, know, luxury. kind of six, between 6 and 6.15. So I have to get up around that time, yeah. which is good, you know, and it also, if what sort of suits you as well, I'm a morning person. I'll wake up, you know, fresh as a daisy in the morning, whereas Sonia kind of needs to have a little bit of a kind of a lie-in to sort of get herself going in the morning. So you sort of play to your strengths a bit as well. But that whole sense of teamwork and being able to rely on your partner to take over when you need them to take over is, you know, a really big part of how we've uh, managed to survive. I mean, what I should also say is that when we first had a child, which when we were living in Sydney at the time, I just finished doing Home and Away and I think I was I was hosting Beauty and the Geek at the time. And we had Fox and we were living in, in Bondi Beach and we we're having a lovely time. And at that moment, I decided I could make excuses no longer as to why I shouldn't go over to LA and because and, it had always been sort of a big ambition for me to go and have a crack over in LA. So we made the crazy choice of um, taking our 10-month-old baby and just dropping everything in Australia, kind of packing everything away and then just arriving in Los Angeles and just moving to LA, which we did for almost five years. So we got there with a baby and some bags and we just had to kind of survive. So we've sort of developed this sort of teamwork thing over over the course of really trying circumstances, you know, in our own sort of lives. So we went to LA. We had nothing. We had we had bags and a baby. For instance, we went. We had a, a furnished apartment for the first month, and we we didn't have a baby high chair for Fox. So. We didn't have anything, so we went to the. We did our first supermarket shop down on at Ralph's on uh, Wilshire down there, and we had the kid in the trolley sitting in the kind of up in that seat up in the trolley, strapped into the with the little strap thing. And uh, you know we're trying to find we're looking through the bread aisle for bread that didn't contain sugar or high fructose corn syrup, and it basically doesn't exist, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in those supermarkets. So we we kind of had this sort of brain wave where we went, hey, look there's a kind of a high chair right here. So, and we had all of this shopping in the trolley. We just went down the the elevator onto the street, wheeled the kid down the street in the trolley down <laughs> Wilshire Boulevard, up into the lift of this apartment, into the kitchen, and there we have a, our baby high chair. So we stuck the kid in the high chair and that was where we fed him for that month and we had that was all of his toys were in the trolley and he was, sometimes we'd just dump uh, him in the trolley and he'd play with his toys because he couldn't get out. Awesome. So. And then when we got a little high chair from Ikea, we just wheeled the trolley back and uh, said, thank you very much, Ralphs, and went and, and gave it back to them. You know, so <laughs> That is fantastic. So what you're trying to say, Bernie, is uh, necessity is a mother of invention and teamwork is everything when it comes to being a parent. <laughs> Absolutely. They, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> oh, you're the best, Bernie. Bernie, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. It was really uh, insightful. I mean, I wish we just uh, – uh, I wish it opened up a bit more, but uh, <laughs> everything – Everything you shared has been great. It's so awesome to hear, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show, mate. Thank you so much. Hey, anytime, boys. I'll, uh, I'd love to do it again if we can. Anytime, mate. For sure. It's Dad Pod, Dad Pod. If you do want to send us an email, askdadpod at gmail.com. A incredible email came in from Matthew, who, Charlie, I have to send you this. He sent us an email, and the subject line, is it too late to cram? The wife and I are both listening to the pod when she's not in labor. Thanks, boys. And he sent a photo and he thankfully, like his wife is out of focus. He's holding the, the phone up uh, in the foreground and wife is very clearly bent over, <laughs> holding on to something well and truly in labor, like well and truly in labor. She's got all the drips on. She's there. Incredible. They're at the hospital. It's happening. Incredible. 
That's amazing. So the answer is yes, it is too late to cram. <laughs> no. And what are you doing cramming it's, this show? You, it's going to be great. And I did send him an off, uh, a follow-up asking Matthew, you know, how did everything go? And uh, he's sent us the most fantastic photo and he's written back, things didn't go to plan, but this stuff never does. He's here and the cutest. You are bang on about the weight on your chest. He's a great natural high. And there's just a glorious photo of Matthew looking out the window with a, a beautiful little baby, full head of hair, resting on his chest, and it's just glorious. I've also started to recommend the show to my guy mates who are expecting. It's great, especially as I'm kind of the first one of my friends. Thanks again, uh, Matt, Jess, and I believe, what would you say, L-O-U-I-S, Louis or Lewis? I'd say Louis, right? Yeah. Congrats, Matthew. Congrats, Matt, Jess, and Lewis. Well done. Welcome to the world, Lewis. I said Louis. <laughs> oh, Louis. Get back to us at askdadpod at gmail.com. Let us know if we've mispronounced your baby's name, Matthew. <laughs> Just constant sleep deprivation. My brain's not ever going to work properly again. Now, Charlie, obviously, uh, if anybody does want to send us an email, askdadpod at gmail.com. We're always open for words of advice uh, and any questions you may have and indeed suggestions as to whom should enter the coveted spots in the dad pod hall of fame and i'm considering that bernard curry was on our show today i think it's only fair and right that we indoctrinate into the dad hall of fame in honor of the brother of our our, our special guest this week bernard curry uh his brother of course stephen curry who played dale kerrigan in the landmark australian film the castle the man that goes into the dad pod hall of fame is Daryl Kerrigan, the father of the Kerrigans, the man who I guess ultimately is a great, like the classic Australian dad, you know, kind of completely quintessential Australian dad, really had no really care or possibly even idea of his family's socioeconomic status, just believed that they didn't live in a house, they lived in a home, and as far as he was concerned, it was his castle. And everything that his kids did was brilliant, everything his wife cooked was amazing, and uh, the things that meant most to him were loyalty and safety and uh, bringing up his family and, and, and keeping them safe and, and, and shared experiences by like going to the family home at Bonnie Doon where they went on holidays all the time, constantly kind of making really stupid renovations to the house to, to improve it. And he was of his time. Like if you grew up in that era, your dad was obsessed with the trading post. Uh, I mean, probably to younger listeners right now, they won't understand what that means. But trust me, all through the 80s and 90s, your dad was obsessed with getting a good deal on the trading post. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, you know, also just aware of the bigger picture, you know, in awe of the high tension power lines that hung above his family home and just, you know, seeing it and going, look at that, son. That's just a testament to man's ability to generate electricity. Look at that. That's just, you know, just aware of the grandeur of, of, of humanity's triumph over the planet. You know, and, and, and loving the smell of two-stroke. Greyhounds and moccasin slippers. Loved it. And even though one of his sons was in prison, loved him just the same. Loved, loved all his kids just the same and had such a pride over his home that when the, the threat of his home was challenged by the expansion of a nearby airport, took a stand and went, no, I don't care where I sit in the socioeconomic spectrum. This place is of so much value. You don't get to tell me that it has to go and um, fought brilliantly for it and uh, daryl kerrigan you're the best daryl kerrigan dad pod salutes you 
All right, Ash, I think that's it. I think that's it. I hope that you have a great week. I hope uh, everything's good with you. Yes, likewise. I'll talk to you next week, Charlie. See you, mate. Go to bed. Oh, of course. (laughs) Get that on a T-shirt soon. (laughs) 